Well, good morning. Were you blessed by the singing today? Amen. I try to remind you every once in a while, do not neglect the ministry of showing up um, and lifting your voices. I think it has been, of course, a great blessing to me, and, and I hope that uh, you as well were encouraged. Thank you, church, for singing to our God this morning well. I want to invite you to turn your Bibles to uh, Genesis chapter 32 this morning as we continue our study of the life of Jacob. Uh, Genesis 32 will be beginning in verse 22. We find that on page 27 in the Pew Bible, if you want to use uh, that Bible. This is, a, I think, one of those very important passages, a very strange passage that we'll consider this morning, and a passage that I continue to have about a hundred different questions about. It's one of those passages I just really, rather than preaching, I just want to sit down and talk and just discuss and consider, and, and because there's so many questions, like why does God show up and fight Jacob, and why does he dislocate his hip, and why, why, why doesn't Jacob let God go, or why, what is the blessing that God gives to him, or why does he ask Jacob his name, or when Jacob asks God his name, why does God not tell him his name, or why does God rename him, and what is the meaning of that, I mean, it's just so much that is so confusing, and unusual and glorious and wonderful this morning, and, and uh, so we won't be able to plumb the depths of it, I'm afraid, but I trust that God will work regardless as we consider Genesis chapter 32, beginning in verse 22. Hear now the word of God. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and set them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there... He blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. Our Father, we're thankful for your word, which we can consider this morning. We're thankful already that we've been gathered together to sing your praises, as you have called for us to do. What a great joy it is. And uh, now we get to hear from you. I pray, Father, that you would, you would help us to see Jesus today. I pray that you would help us to to understand something of your confounding glory this morning. I pray that we would find transformation and redemption and freedom through grace. I pray that we would consider matchless forgiveness, which is our very own in Christ. So help us as we consider your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It was in uh, 1973 when uh, Chuck Colson uh, was parked in a car in someone's driveway in the middle of the night when he would experience a great uh, reformation, a transformation in his life. Colson, if you know his life, he was a very successful politician, served as a high-ranking official in the White House. He's known unofficially as Nixon's hatchet man. He was an incredibly profane and vulgar uh, enforcer of Nixon's policies in the White House, and he, like many close to Nixon in the, in the early 70s, was caught up in the Watergate scandal, and everything began to crush down upon Colson's life. In the midst of this trial and turmoil, Colson uh, went to visit his friend Tom Phillips, 
who was the president of Raytheon Company and an old friend of his. Well, he heard that Phillips and his wife had recently attended a Billy Graham crusade and placed their faith in Jesus. And not only placed their faith in Jesus, but they said, he noticed that Tom Phillips' life was radically transformed afterwards. He's dramatically different. And so Colson, in the midst of this, this turmoil, I wanted to hear more about it. And so he arrived that evening at the Phillips home, and, and they welcome him to the living room. And in the course of their conversation, they begin to read from C.S. Lewis, one of his passages on pride. Lewis writes, and this is what they shared with Colson this evening, A proud man is always looking down on things and on people. And of course, as long as you're looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. They went on to explain to Colson that pride in his life has kept him from looking up and seeing one that is far greater than him, namely God. One who is so great that he would send his son into this world to die for sinners and, and therefore rose from the dead three days later in order that he might forgive all who would trust in him. And then they looked at Colson in that living room and said, would you be willing to submit your life to God by trusting in Jesus? Colson declined. He shortly thereafter left their home, sat in his car to leave, but found he could not turn the key. Alone in the dark with the devastation of his life all around him, Chuck Colson, this great powerful man, began to weep uncontrollably as he cried out to Jesus for salvation. He would, from that point, never be the same man. If you know anything about his life, he was an incredibly humble man, a humbled man, a servant-minded man. We would say, in the biblical language, a redeemed man. Well, here we are in Genesis 32, are we not? And we find that Jacob also is facing a crisis. Of course, this crisis is not a troop of lawyers and a, and a coming prison sentence, but an approaching homicidal brother with 400 of his buddies. And Jacob, I think like Colson, finds himself alone and afraid in the darkness of the night. And it is there that he is crying out to God in the midst of his agony. And what we'll see him cry is, please God, bless me. Now I think Jacob, unlike Colson at this event, uh, was a believer. I think Jacob is a believer at this point in his life. A very flawed believer as we've seen. A very troubled believer. And yet like Colson, this encounter with God that we see before us is going to change Jacob's life forever. I think there's a very important passage on how we come to meet God. And for those of you who have met God, which I trust is most of us, I think this is a very important passage on how God continues to seek to change your life. A, a powerful transformation in who you are. And he will see, we'll see this today. He's going to take the wickedness of Jacob and turn him, in some sense, into the beauty of Israel. But before he does, it's going to get violent. Okay? It's going to get a little ugly as he, as he is, is going to wrestle with God. He's going to fight with God. This is a story, if you will, of painful sanctification. I think it is one of the strangest stories in the Bible. I was just uh, explaining it to one of my children, and, and the, the child said, well, that's not in the Bible. I said, no, yeah, yeah, God showed up and fought Jacob. He put him in a headlock and gave him a bloody nose and all the rest. And he said, no, 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 that's not in the scripture. Right? It's so weird. It's so strange. We have nothing else like it. And yet here it is. We see Jacob literally wrestling with God, which I think, though this happens literally, is a parable for his life, isn't he? That, that Jacob is constantly wrestling. He is constantly grasping for something. He's, after all, that's his name, grasper, conniver, deceiver, right? Whether he's wrestling for his father's approval and, and, and then gets that, but that doesn't satisfy him. Re wrestles for the love of a woman and gets that in Rachel, but that doesn't satisfy him. Wrestling for success in business, he's achieved that, and yet he still finds himself uh, unsatisfied. His entire life is one long wrestling match for this elusive blessing as he seeks after it. None of it is working. None of it is providing what he needs. And so we find Jacob in this passage alone and afraid. And God shows up to fight him. That's weird, isn't it? Right? It's okay to think that's weird. See, God, God doesn't work with us all the same way. He shows up to Abraham and says, Abraham, I want you to go someplace. Abraham says, yes, sir, I'm off. Let's do it. Right? Other people respond like Jacob. It takes a little while. The Lord has to wrestle with you. Get you into submission. I think God mercifully deals with different people in different ways. And Jacob's going to fight the Lord until, until his very end. And he will say to him, even then, I will not let you go unless 
you lust me. Not, not letting you go. And we'll read in verse 29, these very simple, beautiful phrase. And God blessed him. And that blessing changed everything about Jacob. So consider six truths about the blessing of God this morning from the story of Jacob. First of all, blessings come personally. I don't think it's the only way blessings come, but we certainly see it in Jacob's life. Just to kind of review, remember Esau's coming now. Jacob's on his way back to the promised land after being gone for 20 years. He left a very estranged brother. That estranged brother now who wanted to kill him when he left 20 years ago is charging at him with 400 men. Jacob, in response, leapt into action. He did three things. He cried out to God in a beautiful prayer, longest prayer in the book of Genesis, Genesis 32, verses 9 through 12, I believe it is. And then he, he sent gift after gift to Jacob to try to appease him, I think in some sense to make restitution. Would, would, you, would you like a new car? Would you like a massage chair? You know, here's just one out, here's some jewelry, right, one after another. And then, thirdly, he divides his family, which is very large at this point, into two different camps, thinking, okay, if Esau comes and kills part of my family, the other part of my family will be able to, to run for it. And so he's done these three things. He's, he's done all that he is can, can, and now he sends his family off as Jacob remains behind alone. Look at verse 22. That same night he arose and took his two wives and his two female servants and his 11 children. Of course, he has 12 children. Uh, Dinah would be the 12th at this point, And crossed the ford of Jabbok. He then took them and set them across the stream and everything else he had. And we read, Jacob was left alone. Now, some people think this is, this is just vintage Jacob, right? I'm going to hide behind my wives and my kids. I'm going to put them in between Esau and me. And, and that might be the case. That sounds like something he would do. Uh, I'm not sure exactly that's what's happening here. Clearly, regardless of why he's sending them on, this is, in, in all of Jacob's life, the darkest night of his life. And, and he has had many dark nights up to this point. But he is now alone by himself in the middle of the wilderness to consider what events the morning's going to bring. And in that quietness, in that solitude, God comes to him. And I believe this is how God often works. God comes to us at times when we're without distraction and without noise. You know, some people hate to be in quiet. Right? Like, like can't endure the quiet. Even if they're home alone, the TV's on, the music's on, right? They don't like to be alone with their thoughts. Don't want to really deal with what's going on in their heart, what's their lives. Jacob, listen, Jacob is now, what is he away from? He's away from his wives. He's away from his, his, his children. He's away from his wealth. All, all these things in which Jacob, in, in entire life, has been finding his I identity in. Like, this is who I am. And I think we're like Jacob in this way. So many people look to romance. Like my relation, my romantic relationships are key. That tells me who I am. Right? Am I loved? Or maybe it's our kids. Our kids are central. You know, are my kids well behaved? Are they doing good in sports and school and music and all the rest? And that, that we get our identity out of that. Some people find it in success, right? Uh, what's my net worth? What's the, the title on my office door? What's the size of my church, right? And, and, and there we find our identity in that. And for those people, when you take those things away, and I think this is true for Jacob, when you take that away, you're no longer sure who you are. Right? Colson, who was this, his whole life pursued this success in, in, in the political sphere and achieved it to great success, is soon to be a convicted felon, and he's left wondering, who am I really? Now that I don't have this anymore, who am I? And I think God sometimes removes these things that give us our identity so he can deal with us personally. I don't maybe you've encountered this. You're just going on in life. Little reflection of where you're going, how you're spending your time, what you're doing with your life, right? What's life all about? And one day, the doctor says, you know, I think we should do a biopsy. Right? And everything kind of changes. It's Alistair Begg who says the car parked in the garage can't do one thing for cancer. The secretary and the 401k and the title can't do anything for lymphoma. Stock options will not add a day to your life. God dispels at times the illusions in our life in order to deal with you, to help you uh, start to think about what really matters. And all the distractions are gone from Jacob, and it's there he's going to meet with God alone. And Jacob, verse 24, and Jacob was left alone. Remember when Jacob fled the promised land, he was alone and afraid. And the Lord showed up there when that great ladder came down from heaven to earth and gave all these promises. And now he's coming back to the promised land. He's once again alone and afraid. And the Lord's going to come to him again. 
just personally, just, just you and I. I wonder, uh, my brothers and sisters in Christ, do you meet with God alone? Just the two of you. I mean, you're here today. We're all meeting with God today. This is what we're doing. This is why we gather together. God calls us together to worship him and to hear from him. And so we're meeting together with God. You're doing that today. We'll meet together this week in our community groups. We'll, we'll meet together uh, uh, with God in our family worship this week. But do you ever meet with God alone? Like personally? Just, just the two of you. Because some people, I think, only meet with God in groups. I think some people only meet with God when they're being swept along with other people. And they experience God in the environment around them, but they don't experience God personally. I think this is why so many of our teenagers who, who are raised in Christians' home and are active in youth group, and once they get away from these things, they don't have any relationship with God to hold them. Right? Because the relationship with God has all been external to them, but not internal. I think Jacob is raised in a believing family, certainly. But it's, it seems like it had the impact upon him deeply, personally, is, is not all that profound. Many people come and we, we sing our songs as we did this morning. It's beautiful and wonderful. We, we listen to a sermon. We pray. We're engaged. But we're alone. And we start to seek God and we're praying to him for like three or four minutes. We don't even know what to say anymore. And we don't know what to do with God when we're alone. And I, I think we need to be aware of that. Be aware of, that you just experience God with other people. Um, you need to redirect some of that energy towards seeking after him by yourself. I think... This is when God goes after us. He's certainly doing that to Jacob. He comes to him. He's going to relate to him personally. While Jacob is alone, God comes personally. And you'll see, he comes violently, which is utterly stunning. As you see, second truth of the blessing of God this morning, blessings come to the suffering. They come to the suffering. This, for those of you keeping time this morning, will be my longest point, okay? Verse 24. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day, right? And so suddenly out of nowhere, Jacob's tackled. Now, this is one of those verses that we wish we had more information, right? It's like, it's it just moving along, Jacob was alone, and all of a sudden he's fighting with some guy in hand-to-hand -hand combat. Now, you might be surprised to know, at this point in Jacob's life, he's 100 years old, okay? He's an old dude, and he's out camping, and so this is how my mind works. It probably in the middle of the night, he gets up to go to the bathroom, okay, uh, again, right, okay, and uh, on the way back to the tent, right, some guy out of nowhere tackles him, right, which is weird and scary, okay. I, I don't know if you can imagine fighting a total stranger in the middle of the wilderness, right, in the middle of the night, and by the way, all the way until dawn. You see that there in verse 24, they wrestle to the breaking of the day. I don't know if you've ever, have you ever been in a fight all night long till morning. Now, I'm not talking about you, you, you with your wife, okay? This is something totally, this is with a dude, okay? Right, some, you know, you're, you're wrestling six hours, seven hours, eight hours, sweaty, labored breathing, pulling, punching, grasping, headbutts, right? And all the rest, rage and pain. And, and Jacob must be thinking at this point, who is this? I think initially he has no clue. In fact, the way it's narrated, we don't have a clue either. At, at the beginning, I think that's deliberate. Maybe he thought it was a bandit. Maybe he thought it was his brother Esau. Got to win around his family and is going to take him on in the middle of the night. Esau is coming to, to kill him for the, almost the entire night. He has no idea who he is. But he gets a clue when the morning begins to break. Look in verse 25. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. So Jacob at this point is thinking, listen, I'm doing pretty well. I'm a 100-year-old dude. I'm kind of skinny, right? And uh, I'm doing pretty well. I'm fighting this guy all night long. And then all of a sudden, the guy just touches his hip, right? And the hip pops out of socket. Now, does that sound, does that sound comfortable? No. Does that sound nice and tender? No. That sounds really, really painful to me, right? And notice, by the way, the, the passage doesn't say he didn't rip the hip. He didn't wrench the hip. He touched it. Now, some of your translations say he struck it. I'm not a Hebrew expert, but the research I've done is that's a bad translation. It's literally he tapped it. It's like ding, right? And out it pops. The, the largest joint in the body comes dislocated, and it at this point clearly dawns upon Jacob. I'll show you it's clear to him that this person has been holding back all night, right? This is how dads, you wrestle with your boys, right? You this, you hold back, don't you? Right? This is how I wrestle with my boys. I don't wrestle with my girls, by the way. I give them back rubs and, and hugs. But if I gave my boy a back rub, he'd be like, Dad, get away from me. That's weird. 
Okay, so my boys get noogies, they get wedgies, they get dead arms, they get wrestling with dad, okay? And that's how they know dad loves them. And so, uh, but when I wrestle with them, right, dads, you do this. You wrestle at their level. You use as much strength, really, as they have. And clearly, that's what's going on here, because at the breaking of dawn, there, Jacob realizes there is this enormous power that has been unused. This man seems to be trying to get Jacob to submit, trying to get him to yield to him, and finally, he hits the fast-forward button, right, and ends the fight right away. We're just going to pop that hip right out, okay? And if, so that, that's clue number one, but if that's not enough, look what he says in verse 26. Then he said, that's the man he's wrestling with, let me go for the day has broken, right? The sun's coming up, I have to get out of here, which kind of sounds like he's a vampire or something, okay? Okay, he's not a vampire, okay, in case that's what you're going to, no, he's not, he wants to leave, not for his own protection, but for Jacob's protection. Because after all, as we'll find out, this is one you cannot look upon and live. The last clue, I think, is found in verse 29. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. Right? Who are you? Right? He, wants to, he wants it to be confirmed. I think I know who you are, but will you just tell me? And notice what he says. And, but he said, why is it you ask my name? What's your name? Um, he, no answer. Rather, instead, why are you asking? Why are you asking my name? That's a strange answer, isn't it? It kind of sounds like something Jesus would say, I think. Right? You ask a straightforward question, he gives you come back with another question to kind of plumb a little bit different. What, why, are you, why are you even asking? And I think what's going on here, he is saying, in, in a sense, why are you asking? Because you clearly already know who I am. You know my name. Right? Who else can I be? Is it not clear by now? And so Jacob draws the right conclusion, verse 30. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. Okay? So Jacob concludes, what, who am I wrestling with? I'm wrestling with God. John Calvin believes this to be, uh, believe this to be the pre-incarnate second person of the Trinity, the one we would later call Jesus. So Jesus seems to come to Jacob now a second time, but not with promises, but with a headlock. Okay? In the middle of the night, he's jumped by Jesus, and Jesus is going to beat him up a little bit. And I don't know if you've been hoping that someone would punch Jacob up to this point. And, and so, right, um, finally someone does. Jesus comes, gives him a bloody lip and a broken hip, okay? And uh, I think, by the way, uh, this, now, of course, I mentioned this is strange, but it's probably not as strange as you realize. I believe that this is how God often works. That when we encounter God, often at first, and sometimes in the course of our life, it's often painful. Can anybody relate to that? That encountering God is not usually sunshine and rainbows, but storms and hardship. Right? And, of course, the world doesn't know this. You, you go buy a Hallmark card, you know, the, the religious card, and what, what's on the front cover? It's a mountain lake. It's, a, it's an ivory-covered gate. Right? It's a stained glass window. And the, the, the message that Hallmark wants you to think is that being near to God is pleasant, it's warm, it's peaceful. It's like sitting by the fire with a cup of cocoa, right? And, and, and what, what this should tell us is that these cards are written by, by people who have no idea who God is. Okay? Don't, but I, I'll say this every, every year or so. Do not get your theology from Hallmark, okay? The Bible says when you get near to God, you end up with a broken nose. Okay? And some of you know exactly what, what, what I'm talking about. That's how I met with God. When I first met with God, he did not show up with a blankie and a cup of coffee, right? I felt like he hit me in the stomach and jabbed his finger in my face and said, who in the world do you think you are, right? Anybody relate to that? I feel like God punched me in the gut more than once, right? This is how God works. So, see, we think the presence of God is like a day at the spa, like a two-hour massage with aromatherapy, right? And instead, I think it's often very traumatic. Not always, but often. That God, depending on where you are in your life, God will slap you around a little bit. And if you think I'm drawing too much from this story, just read the rest of the Bible. I mean, comes looking for Adam. Adam, you know, dives behind a hedge to get away from God. Okay? Israel's gathered at Mount Sinai, and they say to Moses, let not God speak to us lest we die. We don't want to hear from him. Right? Uh, Isaiah, who's a prophet, he's, a, he's not a Jacob like I. He's a righteous man. He encounters God. What does he say? Woe to me, I am coming apart. I am undone. Job, who the Bible, God says, is a righteous man, finally sees God at the end. He says, my eyes see you, therefore I despise myself. Simon sees who Jesus is, and he says to him in the boat, get away from me. Go away, I can't handle this. 
And Jacob gets near God and he gets a, a headlock and a shattered hip and he's in total agony and he will never walk the same again. Right? That's a Hallmark card I'd buy. Okay? Come near Jesus, get a broken hip. Okay? That's far better theology. Okay? See, what, what's happening here is when we draw near to God, we get a heightened sense of God's presence. And that is often accompanied with a heightened sense of your sinfulness and your unworthiness. Not always, but often. I wonder, how can you draw near to perfect righteousness and feel good about yourself? How can you be in the presence of infinite power and think you're something special? How can you be in the presence of absolute love and not realize how incredibly selfish you are? And I think for good reason. You see, God comes and he wrestles with Jacob. He puts him in agony. I think, he, I think ultimately what he's doing in Jacob's life and what he often does in our life, he needs to break us, doesn't he? he we're like a wild horse and God intends to use us, but he has to take the wild out of us. He has to break us. He has to take the independence out of us. This is how he deals with sinful people. He breaks them in order that he might bless them. See, Jacob initially is wrestling with God in order to get a blessing, but God is wrestling with him so that he can give the blessing. But first he has to wear him down. He has to show him how helpless he is. In fact, I, I just find this so, I, I'm already, there's so many questions I have that I don't have answers to. One, one of the questions, and I, I'm going to guess on this answer, why doesn't God show up to Jacob like he always shows up? In brilliance and light and, and, and you know, thunder and, and, and clouds of, and, and shaking the earth. Just, just show up into majesty and send Jacob groveling to his knees. I mean, this is what God often does. Why not show up and say, hey boy, this is who I am. Look closely. This is who you are. You need me above all things. That would save about eight hours of fighting. Right? Why does he, why does he show up and wrestle with this man all night long and at the end put him in agony? That's a, <laughs> that's a very fascinating question to me. My guess so just, I'll just ratchet down the authoritativeness of this, this part of this. This is my guess. Is that you and I often learn through processes, not through propositions. Right? That, that there are, in other words, there's only some things you, can, you and I can learn by living through them. There's only some things we can learn by suffering. There's only some things we can learn in pain. I think the lesson that God is trying to teach Jacob and you and I, therefore, is that God is infinitely valuable above all things in your life. God, God is more valuable than anything in your life. But I'm not sure you can, you can truly learn that through a sermon. You can hear me say it, as I've done, but will it truly transform you? See, when is it that you have learned that God is who he truly is? When is it that you learned that God is truly the blessing that he says he is? Is it not? In the midst of hardship, is it not in the midst of trial that you say, God, I, I need you above all things. You've taken everything away from me, I, but you haven't left. I need you. I reminded that after the Lord was raised from the dead, he comes to Peter, remember that? And, and Peter, who, who thought only of himself when Jesus was in his greatest need, remember that? I mean, the great, bold, bold, bold Peter, all, you know, I'll do anything for you, Jesus. I'll even die for you. And there he is, a little girl saying, hey, you belong to Jesus. And he's calling down curses on himself, saying, I believe it, I believe it, you don't know the guy. Right? And then Jesus, three days later, gets up from the dead, and he finds Peter. And he says, hey, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I, I love you. Are you sure? Do you, do you love me? Yeah, I love you. Are you really sure? Do you love me? Do you think that might have been a painful conversation for Peter? I think it probably was. But he was never the same after that. I think God sometimes puts us in places of pain and trial that we, we will come from that limping and blessed. Well, there'll be pain in our life, but we will be far closer to God. And that we might be, just as Peter would be willing to do anything for God at that point. So I ask you, my friends, have you ever been put out of joint by God? Your plans ever been destroyed? Your dreams ever dislocated? I was thinking about my own life. I've experienced this at least three or four times in my life. 
some setback, some trial, some disappointment where you come to the end of yourself and you have one option remaining, just clinging on to Jesus. Right? Nothing else to hold on to anymore. I'm just going to hold on to you. I like how Newton expressed this in his hymn when he wrote, I asked the Lord that I might grow in faith and love and every grace, might more of his salvation know and seek him more earnestly his face. I hope that in some favored hour at once he answered my request and his love's constraining power subdue my sin and give me rest. Instead, he made me feel the hidden evils of my heart and let the angry powers of hell assault my soul in every part. Lord, why is this, I trembling cried, will thou pursue thy worm to death? Tis in this way, the Lord replied, I answer prayers for grace and faith. These inward trials I implore from self and pride to set thee free and break thy schemes of earthly joy that thou may seekest thy all in me. I think this is the lesson that Jacob is learning. Seek thy all in God, which is what Jacob is going to find as we see thirdly, blessings come to the desperate. And third, notice that the, the de- we must be desperate for God to work in our life. In verse 26 we read, and then he said, this is God saying to Jacob, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Okay, at this point the wrestling stopped. His hip is out of socket. They're not fighting anymore. Okay, um, I, 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 don't, I don't know if you've ever had your hip put out of socket, but I'm, I'm pretty sure, I have not, but I'm pretty sure you can't fight with a hip out of socket, okay? And so the, 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 the fight's over, but Jacob is clearly still holding on, right? That's why he says, let me go. Jacob clings to him, and he does so because the power that he's now seeing makes him realize that this is God himself. It's, it, he's, this is why he asks, this is a strange question. You ever fight a man for eight hours, and at the end of the fight you say, will you please bless me before we're done, right? That's weird. Unless the man you're fighting with, you realize, is God. And so he says, I'll, I'll bless you. I'm not gonna, he says, I'm not going to let you go until you, until you bless me. Now, I don't think this is proud, dominating Jacob. I, I think Jacob is, like, holding on to his ankle like, a, like, like your kids hold on to your ankle. And, you know, you kind of drag them around the kitchen, right? You're just clinging on. I'm not going to let you go. I think this is the cheer-choked plea from Jacob I need you to bless me. I will not let go unless you bless me. And I want you to see the desperation that he has. He is an unbelievable pain at this point. Right? If I were to dislocate this pinky right now, I'd probably roll around on the ground here and whine and cry. Right? I would have a very difficult time preaching a sermon. Right? And Jacob has his hip dislocated and he won't let go. Not only is he in unbelievable pain, he's an unbelievable danger because the sun is rising. He knows to see God's face uh, is to die. Jacob should be saying, let me go. That's what Jacob should be saying to God. Get out of here. I I don't want to die. Leave. I don't want to die. And instead of saying that, he's clinging. He's doing the opposite. He's clinging to him. saying, I won't let you go until you bless me. And the, the reason this man has been searching his whole life for this. He's looked for it in his father, he's looked for it in his wife, he's looked for it in his business, and it's all been vanity. It has not given him what he thought it would. And, and he's getting to the point where he says, I've been, looking to, I've been looking my whole life for you. You're the approval I looked for in my father. You're the love I looked for in Rachel. You're the value I looked for in my wealth. I've been searching my whole life for you, and I I finally see I'll never be satisfied without you. Nothing else matters to me now. I would rather die than not have you. You are the blessing, and I will not let you go. And I wonder if you you ever have that heart. Let me ask you, are you clinging to God like that? You cling to God like that. You take everything, but I'm not letting you go. You are everything to me. See, I think often we don't hold on to him in desperation. I think often we meander through life, and, and often we look to God for the gifts in which he gives. And sometimes it's very subtle in our heart that God becomes the means to an end in our life. Like he's how we access the blessings that we want, but he's not the blessing himself. I think 
I think often we cling to relationships that keep us from God and we cling to habits that hold on to us that we keep us separated from God and we, we cling to secret sins. I'm not going to let them go even though it's taking us away from the very one whom we need. I will tell you this morning that the greatest need in your life, no matter how you come this morning, the greatest need in your life is God. It is his blessings upon you. It is his approval. It's his love. It's his presence. And I, I, we, we need to, I pray for this all the time for this. I've been praying for nine years for this church that God would make us desperate. That we would have a desperation, a Jacob-like desperation. I won't let you go. We won't let you go until we know your love and your power and your presence and your fullness in your life, that we would be desperate to, to walk with God. And my prayer, and I was praying for you this week, that maybe some of you, even now, you would hear God just whisper in your heart, say, let's stop playing around. Can we get serious? I wonder if God is saying that to any of you. What if God's bringing you to the point this morning that you realize that, you're, man, I'm looking, for, I'm looking for my satisfaction in this over here, and this over here, and this over here, everywhere but you. And maybe even now in the quiet of your heart, you would echo Jacob's cry and say, God, will you please bless me? I need to know your presence. I need to know your love. I need to know your approval. I need to know your fulfillment. I will not let you go unless you bless me. And Jacob cries, please, please do this for me. Of course, the question is, will he? Will he bless Jacob? But not initially. Because first, Jacob must confess. As you see, fourth, blessings come to the humbled. I don't know how to title this point, to be honest. Uh, the, come to the self-aware. I'm not sure. Maybe you could flesh it out a little bit. But just, just consider verse 27 for this point. And he said to him, that's God said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Now that's weird, right? What it, God, God says to Jacob, I mean, did, did God, it's like, oh, I just want to make sure I'm fighting the right guy. I mean, is that what's going on here with God? Like I forgot, okay, you know, I've been wrestling for so long, I forgot your name. No, he, he knows his name. So why, why does he ask him? Because he wants Jacob to know his name. And of course, the name of Jacob means everything. We've seen this throughout his study. Right? He, Jacob, that name, what, it means what, deceiver. It means conniver. It means, you know, arm twister. By the way, it's not the first time someone asked Jacob his name. Remember that? What was it? In chapter 27, chapter 26, I think. He comes to his blind old dad. This guy says, uh, Esau. says, I want the, uh, can I have, can I have the, the blessing? And he says, well, well what's your name? Remember what Jacob said? My name is Esau. He's a thief. In fact, Esau brought this up immediately after saying, is he not rightly named Jacob, for he deceived me these two times. Jacob means deceiver, cheater. And I think this is a humbling of Jacob. Right? Who are you? Who are you really? My name is Jacob. My name is conniver. My name is supplanter. My name is the, the one who twists the arm. And it's at this point, it seems that it's all God needs. He's now ready to bless him. God, I think, likewise wants us to see ourselves, the truth about ourselves, the truth of our waywardness and our, our sinfulness, not so that he could condemn us because of it, so that he might, be, might, might bless us. Because if we come to God and we're proud and arrogant and we lay before God, look at all that I've done. Look at all who I am. Look at all my, my spiritual resume. There is no room for blessing to that one. Even though that's how all the world religions say you approach God. You earn it. You earn it. You merit it. You do this and this and this and this. And then you go to God and say, this is what I've done. And he says, okay, welcome. I'm so glad to have you. Right? That is, of course, the exact antithesis to what scripture tells us. It is not we come to God and say, this is who I am. Aren't I great? We come to God and say, oh, dear God, I have fallen so far short. Will you please... Be merciful to me, a sinner. Be merciful. What did Jesus say? Be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you the truth. That man went home justified. That's where the blessing is to be found. When we come to the end of ourselves and ask for mercy. And I think perhaps one day God's going to ask you your name. What's your name? Who are you, in other words? I wonder, will you list your deeds before him? 
Or will you confess your sin? Well, for, fifth, we see blessings include a new identity. So this, the first four is kind of like how to lay the groundwork to receive the blessing. The last two points are, are kind of what is the blessing. And the blessing that God gives is a new identity. You see there in verse 28. Then, J, then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you asked my name? And here it is. And there he blessed him. There he blessed him. Now we're not sure what he said, but we do know in scripture all blessings are verbal. Right? So I think he spoke to Jacob some wonderful and, and mysterious words. Perhaps one day in heaven we'll know. What is it that you said? I was thinking about what, what could have God said? And I wonder if he said something similar to what he said to Jacob's greater son, the Lord Jesus Christ, when he received his baptism and God spoke from heaven and said three things. You're my son, I love you, and I am pleased with you. Right? I, I think those are words we all long to hear. And I think we look to our spouse when we want our wife to come say, listen, you are my husband, I love you, and I am pleased with you. Right? You want to hear that? Kids, you want to hear that from your dad. Listen, you are my daughter, you are my son, I love you, and I am pleased with you. You want to hear that from our friends. But to hear from God himself, I think that changes everything. Right? I, I mean, there's one, one thing to believe in God, there's one thing to obey God, but when you realize that God is in your entire life, that he's the one you're, you're made for, and, and God says, listen, I, 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 am, I love you, you're mine, I'm with you forever, I'll never leave you. I, you're my son, you're my daughter, I am with you to the very end. And you realize, well, kid, life is no longer about whether I'm married or not, or life is no longer whether this job is good or, or bad, or whether I have financial struggles or financial success. Life becomes no longer about that. Because these things do not give us the blessings that we long after. God is the blessing. He's what we seek. God is my life. And God says, listen, I'm, 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 I'm yours and you're mine. I think that might be what he said to him. Now notice in this whole passage, remember what Jacob's waiting for in the morning. He's got Esau and 400 armed men coming at him. And that never is brought up. God shows up. Remember Jacob crying out to God, I'm afraid of my brother. Right? And then God shows up right after the prayer. And doesn't even bring it up. There is no promise. Hey, by the way, don't worry about your brother in the morning. I got it handled. That's interesting. There's no promise that everything tomorrow is going to go well. But you will go into tomorrow with the blessing of God. I like how one put it. Jacob received the restoration of a relationship, not the resolution of a problem. Right? With God, the problems don't always disappear. We just never face them alone. Right? We still face problems, but we go with God into them. Right? The psalmist says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. He does not say, you are with me, therefore I will not walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Why would you ever send me there? No, the problems still come. Esau and his army still comes, but we face them with God. We're, we're, we're together forever now, and that's captured in this new name that he's given. It's a turning point. It's a new name for a new man. He's no longer Jacob the liar, the deceiver. He's now Israel, one who wrestles with God, one who clings to God. He's the one who doesn't need to manipulate all these people to get what he wants anymore. He just needs the Lord himself. He doesn't need to deceive and cajole and connive. He just needs to turn to the Lord and his promises. And so it's a new name for a new man. Which is true of you if you're in Christ. you got a new name too. Don't you understand that? My name is Christian. I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Christ. That's who I have become. He's done that for you. Now what's fascinating to me is that the name of Jacob does not now at this point disappear from scripture. Right? It does for Abram. Abram, renamed Abraham. You'll never read the name Abram again in the Bible. Sarai, named Sarah. You'll never read the name uh, Sarai again in the Bible. Jacob, we named Israel, and you will continually hear the name Jacob. It's about half and half going forward now. Sometimes he's called Israel, sometimes he's called Jacob. Right? Of course, both those names reflect his, if you will, the two natures. He's got one old nature and one new nature. And though he's been made new, just like you and I have, the old kind of hangs on, doesn't it? And, and uh, we'll see the old Jacob emerge even moving forward. 
And perhaps there's a little bit of old Jacob here, and even in the next verse, look at what he says in light of the, the blessing. Verse 30, Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life was delivered. Peniel means face, the face of God. Right, you hear the L at the end. Whenever you hear L in the Hebrew, L, L Elijah, right? Uh, L means God. Okay, so Peniel, the face of God. And he says, he, why does he call it Peniel? He says, I saw God's face and lived, which is not exactly true, right? Jacob continues to have a very interesting relationship with truth, okay? They're not really friends. They're more like acquaintances. What he should have said, not, not even see God's face and live, he should have said, I almost saw God's face and was permanently disabled, Okay? That's, that's probably closer to the truth, right? I was in God's presence, blessed by him, and all that happened was I got a shattered hip. So that was, I made it out pretty good, in other words, okay? So he has this new wonderful identity, which of course includes a new limp. Blessings, lastly, point six, include a new limp. For we read in verse 31, the sun rose upon him. Can you picture this in your mind? Someone can paint something, paint, paint me this picture. I think it was glorious. Like sun rising, Jacob marching off. Look at what it says. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Blessed man, a new name, a new limp. One pastor describes it. The morning light revealed a bleeding, bruised man in tattered clothes, dark with soil and sweat, dragging a leg and grimacing with each step. Yet he bore a smile on his face as he held his head high, and with assurance in his heart, he limps forward to meet Esau and his army. He will walk with a limp the rest of his life. Every morning he puts on his pants, he's going to feel that hip. Every day he goes about his duties, he's going to feel that hip. And it will be a perpetual reminder to Jacob of God's blessing in his life. And people might ask him, it's like, oh, I see you limping, you know, what happened? And he'll say something like, you know, I wrestled with God all night. It was like a tie, I think, right? Because right? God, God, God left his mark on Jacob. Forever crippled, yet forever fulfilled. A forever, a physical forever reminder not to rely on your own strength, but God. I wonder, would you rather limp through life with God's blessing or skip through life without it. Paul faced that same issue. He, the Bible says Jesus sent a thorn, uh, in, uh, put a, a messenger of Satan. Jesus sent a messenger of Satan that was a thorn in my flesh, he says. He was dragging him down and God shows up and he says, listen, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul will respond, I will boast all the more of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me for when I am weak, then I am strong. I mean, that's, a, that's exactly what's going on with Jacob. I think that goes on with us. We limp in regard to our own strength, in regard to our own accomplishments, our own moral performance. We're crippled. I think Doug even prayed that this morning. We're homeless, bereft, we're, we're, we're poor in spirit. But it's only when we're, we recognize we're cripples that we can understand that we, we must rely on God's strength. And in doing so, we're far stronger than we ever have been. And I wonder if you have found strength in your weakness. It's shocking to me that, that, that God blesses Jacob at all. I, I, and I have not held back on him. I, I, I think he is a terrible man in many ways. I think he's a terrible dad, terrible brother, terrible son, terrible husband. Right? And wait, you, you haven't seen anything of Jacob until we get to Genesis 34. Right? And there's part of me that says, why doesn't God just strike him down? Why does God rather show up and bless him? Why? Why, why him? And I, I think the answer is somewhat elusive until we get to the New Testament. Where God once again shows up out of nowhere as a man. Right in the darkness with Jacob, he pretends to be weak in order that he might bless him. Well, it's in the darkness of Calvary, he actually becomes weak so that he might bless us. It's Tim Keller who says, Jacob held on at the risk of his own life to get the blessing for him. But Jesus held on at the cost of his own life to give the blessing to us. Do you have it? Do you have God's blessing in your life? Have you been accepted by him through faith in Jesus Christ? Have you heard him say into your soul, Christian, maybe you need to hear it again through the gospel, you are my daughter. You are my son. I love you.
and I am pleased with you. You think if you might walk in that strength, you might have joy and freedom in your life? Paul says, I count it all as rubbish compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I pray that you know him. You can by placing your faith in Christ. And if you do, one day, you and I and all who trust in him with bended knees shall come truly to Peniel. We shall see him face to face. Well, one last verse, and we'll end. A little weird one there, verse 32. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. So it's an interesting way to end this chapter, I think. But what do we see here? It's a little memorial, isn't it? We don't eat that part of the animal as a way to remember when God wounded our father Jacob. I would suggest to you this morning, even as we come to the Lord's Supper, we have better wounds to remember than a dislocated hip. See, they looked at Jacob and the wound he bore to get a blessing. We look to the greater Jacob, the Lord Jesus, and the wounds he bore in order that we might receive it. And we'll remember that even as we come to this table. Let's prepare our own hearts for it as we pray. Our Father, um, sometimes it's easy, I think, to doubt your love for us. Life is often hard and painful. And yet we have the greatest and most clearest display of your unfailing love. And it is in, we're reminded of it in the meal which we're about to celebrate. That Christ Jesus came into this world and he willingly had his body broken and his blood spilled, the cost of his own life, even bearing your wrath, that he might be our substitute, that we might be adopted into your family. We, sinners like Jacob, might hear from you and say, based upon nothing we have ever done or ever will do, that we are your children now, and that you love us, and that in Christ, you are pleased with us. May we be reminded of that even now as we come to this meal. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as the service